Okay, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that I am real excited this morning. What I'm excited about is that we're getting ready to come in the two biggest Sundays of the, of the year. Well, actually, it's two of three. Jesus, at the age of 29 or 30, started his public ministry. And the first year of his ministry is often characterized as the, as the year of inauguration. This is where people discovered who he was. They started hearing stories of him, hearing stories of his miracles. Um, he traveled uh, throughout Israel, uh, from Galilee to Bethlehem to uh, Jerusalem, all over through Canaan. And the second year of his ministry is called the year of popularity. At this time, his name was really known. There's buzz among all the people. Have you heard of this man of miracles? He heals. Uh, he also claims that he's, he's God. It's a year of popularity. The third year of his ministry was the year of opposition. Uh, by this time, uh, the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, uh, had great opposition to his teaching. Uh, he seemed to intentionally work his biggest miracles on the Sabbath, which uh, violated uh, the Jewish laws. Um, it was no longer safe for him even to travel into Canaan, which is up where Jerusalem is. He spent most of uh, that time in uh, Galilee, around the, the Lake of Galilee, the Lake of Tiberias, which uh, the Sea of Galilee, it's really a lake. It's, I think, five miles across, 30 miles long. And then next Sunday, he kind of the, the culmination of his ministry happened when he traveled into Jerusalem from Bethany. And Bethany is the town, as you remember, where Lazarus lived and his sisters. Jesus comes in in this triumphal entry on a donkey, uh, as it was prophesied in the Old Testament. And they hailed him king, king of Israel. And they shouted hallelujah. And they put palm branches all over the street. And he truly came in with a great entry uh, as king of kings and king of Israel. But then just one week later, just one week later, that same crowd or many, many, many members of that crowd who hailed him king and messiah were the same ones that said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So amazing events took place that week between his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and ultimately his sacrifice, his crucifixion, the following Friday. And that leads us up to the following Sunday where we'll celebrate Easter. And it is definitely the most important day in history. The most important day in history. Because the day Christ rose from the dead was the day that death lost its sting. That death was broken. And the power of Satan over the children of God was completely broken. And it's the, day that the church, it's the day that the church calendar begins on Easter Sunday. And from that Sunday, we go another 52 weeks until we come back again to Easter. So next week, we will celebrate Palm Sunday. And the following week, the greatest Sunday of all, the day that Christ rose from the dead and death was broken. And as Paul said, if Christ had not risen from the dead, our faith, your faith and my faith, would be completely in vain. Now, prior to the resurrection of Christ, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, always offered sacrifices. 
sacrifices. Sacrifices of bulls, sacrifices of lambs, sacrifices of doves. The idea of, of an innocent animal being sacrificed to pay or atone for the sin of yours and mine. And so people were constantly bringing sacrifices to atone for their sins. And then once a year, the high priest would come in and offer sacrifices in the Holy of Holies for the whole nation of Israel. And we're told in the book of Hebrews that Christ came in and entered that Holy of Holies. And he was that sacrifice. He was that sacrifice that, that broke down the ball, the barrier between man and God. The curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was cut in two, and now we are freely able to enter into the presence of God because of Christ's sacrifice. So what kind of sacrifices are we to make today? We don't no longer do we need to sacrifice bulls or goats. The sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice we celebrate today in communion has been made through Christ. But what we're called upon today to make is a sacrifice of praise. And I've chosen Hebrews 13, uh, verses 14 and 15. It says, for here we have no lasting city. For here we have no lasting city. For we seek a city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer sacrifices of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that declare his name. Okay, so what the author is talking about here is here we have no continuing city. What's he saying? He's saying that your days and my days are like a, a wave of the sea. It's like, a, it's like a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. It passes quickly. We have no lasting city. We have nothing to really secure ourselves in. The idea of a city was it was a place of protection. In the old days, this, all cities had walls and they protected the people from, from invaders. And then within the city... There were laws and there was infrastructure that protected people from one another. So a city was a place of safety. It was a haven. It was a place of protection. But the psalmist is telling us here we have no lasting city. Here we have no lasting protection. Here we have no laws that ultimately will defend us. So he's saying that we look forward to another city. And what city is he talking about? He's ultimately talking about the new Jerusalem, the city that all of us will be a part of. And in that city, of course, there's the lion lays down with the lamb. There's all protection. There's love and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. And God itself, himself is the light of the city. So we look forward to that. But the idea is that this day and age that we live in now is very temporal and passing. In fact, the scripture says that which is seen is temporal and passing. That which is not seen is real and lasting. And it's so easy for us to get our focus on the present and forget that your life and my life is like a, a grain of sand connected to all the grains of sand that go around the world one time, you know, you'd say, well, that's pretty insignificant. Well, that's nothing to compare to what our lifetime on this earth looks like to our eternal lifetime in heaven. Eternity means never ending. It means that whatever is going on, as James alluded to this morning, it doesn't matter if we woke up today sick, or we woke up today without shelter, we woke up today without money, we woke up today with problems. This is very passing. This is very temporal. It's not going to last very long. Consumes of praise to God. Okay, so what elicits praise in your heart and my heart? What makes you praise God? It comes from a thankful spirit. 
Praise comes from thankfulness. So I want to talk about two things in regards to communion that we should be thankful for. Two big things that we should be the most thankful for. And these things, these are attributes that just stem and come flow from the heart of God. And the heart of God is love. And the first attribute of God that we need to be thankful for is that of mercy. Mercy. And what is mercy? Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Getting, not, not getting what we deserve. It's the idea of there are certain things that we do that God has asked us not to do. There are certain things he's asked us to do that we have not done. And there are results, the ramifications of us not doing those things or doing those things we shouldn't. But God shows his mercy to us. David talks about mercy. He says, after he had basically killed murdered sent into battle and then withdrew the troops of Bathsheba's husband after he had taken her in adultery David appeals to God and says have mercy upon me O Lord according to your loving kindness you notice he said not because he did make him you know I, I, I had a bad childhood uh I had troubles in school. He says, no, according to your loving kindness. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to your tender mercies, brought out my iniquities. David appealed to God for his mercy, his own personality, for forgiveness. And God extends mercy to you and I, not based on anything we've done, but because he chooses to do that. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he says to us, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The very nature of God, the very nature of his love is to extend mercy to us. And that, brothers and sisters, is something that we could give a psalm of praise and thanksgiving for every day. Because all of us were born in this world in the likeness of Adam's character. We came into this world with fallen flesh. No one had to teach you or I to be angry, to be jealous, to, to lie to want something which belongs to another person. That was all in the package. And that's called sin. And the scripture says that God punishes sin and the wages of sin are death. But God took that away from us. He knew our condition. He knew our frame. He remembered that we were dust. And he took Jesus and brought him to be a sacrifice for you and me that we would never have to stand his judgment. So that, brothers and sisters, is much to be thankful for. So if you or I wake up tomorrow morning and we find out that we're having trouble at our work or trouble, we're having trouble in our marriage or we're having trouble with our family or with our friends or the car doesn't start, wake up and say, Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your everlasting mercy. This isn't just a mercy today. Thank you that for eternity you have granted me your forgiveness in Christ. And the next attribute of God that also flows from his love is grace. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And then grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting the punishment we deserve. And then grace is getting what we don't deserve. So if I walk into McDonald's today 
and I'm in line there for about three minutes because somebody in front of me can't figure out what they want to order, and they've got a bunch of kids with them. And just as I'm about to place my order, somebody jumps in line in front of me and places their order. Now, the fact that I don't tap that guy on the shoulder and say, get behind me, that's mercy. Okay. <laughs> so I've extended him mercy. I didn't say. But then when he gets his order all fixed up and ready to pay, then I pull out my phone with my WeChat barcode, and I let him scan it, and I pay for his lunch. That's grace. That's grace. He, only, he not only got what he didn't deserve, I mean, he, he, he didn't get what he deserved with my tap on the shoulder, but he got what he didn't deserve. I bought his lunch. That's grace. And that's what God has given to us in Christ. He has given us also his grace. He didn't just forgive us. He didn't just wipe out our sins. He gave us something unbelievable. We're told that actually the moment you and I asked Christ into our life, he put to death that nature of Adam that was in us. That nature that we've been dealing with all our life was put to death. You might say, well, Ricky didn't do a very good job of putting to death in me. Uh, he did. <laughs> Adam's dead. The nature of, nature of Adam is dead, but the life, that manifestation of the life is still with us. So it's like a chicken gets its head cut off. The chicken's absolutely biologically dead, but his body might run around for an hour, maybe not an hour. But that's what happened to our old man. The ab old man is absolutely dead, but still the life of that old man continues to be expressed the rest of our life. But the good news is, it's no longer us, it's sin that dwells in us. And Paul gets in that in Romans 7. He says, you know, the fact that I do what I don't want to do and don't do what I want to do, he says it proves it's not me, but sin that dwells in us. So as far as our identity is concerned, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And he's written his law upon our heart. And the proof that you and I are sinners, uh, are, are saints, the proof that you and I have been saved isn't that we don't sin. The proof that we have been saved is that we no longer can enjoy our sin. Oh, you might enjoy it for a minute or two, but it's like it tastes good in the mouth, but sours the stomach. That's the proof. The proof that we've been saved because sin is now contrary to our nature. And as I mentioned before, the most unhappy people in the world are not the sons of Adam because the sons of Adam live every day according to their nature. Sin. The most unhappy people of the world are, sinners, are, are saints, believers who sin because sin is completely contrary to our nature. So we've been given a new package. We've been given a new life. We've been given a new nature in Christ that hates the flesh and wants to war against it by abiding in him. Okay, what else has he given us? Okay, let's say theoretically he could have saved us. He could have forgiven us, covered us in blood, and then taken us to heaven for eternity. But as servants, we could have been forgiven servants. And you know, oftentimes we hear about, you know, when Jesus will return to earth, he comes as king of kings and lords of lords, and every knee bows down, and everyone confesses that he is lord of the glory of God. And oftentimes we can think that's kind of what our relationship will be like with him in heaven. That when we see him, everybody's just going to fall down and worship him. But God also, in his grace, gave us a completely different relationship. He actually made us co-heirs with Christ. Sons. Now many of you families have adopted children. 
There is no difference in an adopted child and a natural born child as far as responsibility to the parents. They're both equal. They've received the equal inheritance. They are the same family. And he made us co-heirs with Christ. And Jesus tells us himself, he says in, this, in one of the Gospels on the communion, he says, I will not drink this cup or have this meal with you until I have it again with you in paradise. Which means Jesus is going to be sitting at the table with us and with others having a meal. He also says that those servants who when he returns, when the Lord finds them waiting for him and alert, it says that he will have them sit down at table and himself will serve them. So Jesus even talks about serving those who have been waiting for him or prepared for him. So when we get to heaven, brothers and sisters, Jesus is probably going to come up wanting to wash our feet, wanting to serve us. But it's his nature. But we'll want to do the same thing. We want to wash feet. We want to serve because we have his very nature. But this is a wonderful thing he's given us, is he has given us equality as brothers and sisters. He says in, in John 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master does, but I have called you friends. For whatsoever I heard from my father, I have made known to you. He calls us friends, and he understands that you and I are his brothers and sisters, co-heirs with him in his kingdom. And brothers and sisters, this is an incredible gift. You know, you're talking about rising to the corporate ladder or making it big in the diplomatic community or being top in the educational field or in the medical field or any other field. What does a co-heir with Christ mean? That is an unbelievable gift he has given us. So, what are we to do with this? Well, I would suggest, brothers and sisters, that every morning when you wake up, you say, thank you, Father, for the eternal mercy you have given me in Christ. And then I suggest that you say, Father, thank you for the eternal grace you have given me in Christ. And then all during the day, try to think about the fact that you and I have received that which we didn't deserve, mercy, and also received that which we didn't deserve, grace. And then before you go to bed at night, before you go to bed at night, the last thing on your mind should say, Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for not giving me what I deserve. Thank you for giving me what I didn't deserve. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. And if you and I will start doing that, uh, a grateful heart is like health to the bones. And worry and ungratefulness dries up the bones. And there's plenty of things to be worried about in this world. There's plenty of things to be ungrateful about in this world. And that's why we need to Take our minds, set them above, set them on what's true, set them on the fact that your life and my life is like a wave, it's like a vapor, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. But before us is eternity, is a house, is a city prepared for us in which we are going to be co-heirs with Christ. And we had nothing to do with that. He chose to give us that. By grace we were saved through faith, and that faith didn't even come from ourselves. It was God's gift to us. 
not of works, lest any man should boast. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Can a dead man respond to the gospel? And he touched you and I, and he gave us a spiritual awareness. And then he opened our mind where we could even understand the gospel. And then he opened our hearts where we had a desire to receive it. But we couldn't even receive it ourselves. He then gave us the faith to embrace it. By grace are you saved through faith. And that faith didn't even come from yourself. It was God's gift to you, to me, lest any man should boast. So we of all people on this earth should every day have a positive attitude. We have been given mercy. We have been given grace. Not just today, not for tomorrow, but for eternity. And that, brothers and sisters, is good news. And we're going to celebrate that every day of our life. Do it today. Do it tomorrow. And then the troubles of this day will fade away when we get that long, that eternal view that we have mercy and grace forever. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. When we were without strength, when we hated you, when we were your enemies, that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to reconcile us to ourselves, and that you, Father, have redeemed us, that you have given us mercy, that, that he took what we deserved in our place. And then you have poured out your grace upon us. You have resurrected us in Christ. You have seated us at your right hand in Christ. You have made us sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. And Father, we will bless your name uh, in all the earth. Every day we will bless you. May all the saints bless your name forever and ever. Father, we, we give praise to you. We worship you, Father. Uh, we pray that we would have the, the, the sacrifice of praise in our heart every day. Father, help us remember to rehearse, to rehearse all that you've given us. And may that bring forth that thankfulness in us, Father, to, to worship you, to praise you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace, Father. Thank you for being co-heirs with Christ. Thank you for one another. Thank you for your body on earth. Thank you for those who've gone before us. Thank you for those who are coming after us, Father. Give us grace to, to, to grip, to grips the reality, Father, the reality of who we are and what is in store for us ahead, Father. And this day and every day, Father, without reservation, give ourselves into your hands that you might, without restriction, live your life through us, Father. As a branch simply abides in a vine, Father, may we simply abide in you, in your mercy, and in your grace, and in your care for us. Thank you that you are our shelter. You are our tower. You are our strong city. You have walled us around. You have protected us by your laws. You have protected us. You have given us your very spirit, your very nature, as a down payment of our eternal wealth in your kingdom. So, Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that today we can celebrate uh, the gift of life that you have given us through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.